title of my message this morning is, Do We Believe? We Believe in the Power of the Holy Spirit. And for us as believers, that's what Pentecost Sunday is about. There are four defining truths, and I've said this in this church before. I'm sure I said it when I pastored here between 2006 and 2011, that these four defining truths are not all we believe, but they are at the very core of who we are as believers and a church. We believe in salvation. We believe that God normally has given us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, and on and on again, that God's arms are open wide to receive us as His very own. We believe in salvation. Whatever your background, wherever you've been, no matter what you've done, there is grace and forgiveness for sin when you come God's way. We also believe in divine healing. We don't believe that healing stopped when the Bible was finished being written. There are some Christians who believe that, and much to their surprise, they're going to find out they were wrong and we were right when we get to heaven. I hope that's the way it works. But <laughs> so we do believe that God is still the healer today. Does that mean none of us ever get sick? None of us ever die? No, that's ridiculous. We all battle sickness and disease in a fallen world. But we can look to God as our ultimate healer. Does that mean we don't go to doctors? No. Anybody doing healing work is doing God's work, whether they know Him or believe in Him or not. Thank God for doctors. We believe in divine healing. We believe in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that He promised that the day will come when He returns to this earth. That's not my message. We believe in the Holy Spirit. That is my message this morning. That God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is ready to strengthen and to enable you. That God is ever-present to give you exactly what you need for your difficult time in life. And how is He present? Obviously, Jesus Christ is not physically present other than you being the body of Christ. He has ascended to the Father. But how is He present? He is present by His Holy Spirit in this world today. He is present by God the Spirit. Always interesting to me that the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, from which we get pneumatic, we get pneumonia. It means wind. And in the Bible, it's the same word for spirit. And in the Hebrew, it's the same thing. Only you have to <clears throat> clear your throat. Ruach. Spirit or wind. And you have to take the context and understand which it should be translated as. And interesting, in, in John 3, Jesus talks that the spirit is like the wind. He's doing a play on words. And he uses the same word each time. And so you kind of follow, next time you're in John 3, kind of read that through and realize the play on words that Jesus is using as he spoke to Nicodemus. And I know this church has heard my little quips before, but that was the original Nick at night. So <laughs> I want you to know that wherever you are today, I'm not talking about physical location. I'm talking about in your journey. In your journey as a believer, that the Holy Spirit wants to strengthen you wants to enable you 
If you feel like you're absolutely alone, you need to connect with other believers. But more important than that, let God's Spirit connect with you. Let the Holy Spirit empower you. This is a whole extra dimension of God's power that can be yours and mine. Not only can be, it is available for us. When we talk about Pentecost, this is known in the Bible as the Feast of Weeks. And it's become, like in Judaism, a time to celebrate the giving of the law. That wasn't exactly what it was about. It was really about the first fruits. And it's a time talking about fruitfulness. Why do we use the term Pentecost? Because it's 50 days after the first day of Passover, and Pentecost simply means 50. And for us, it has taken on a fresh meaning. It is the time, some say, when the church was born. I, I'm not going to quibble about that, but I think the church was born the minute call, Jesus called his first disciple. It is the day the church was empowered. It is the day the church began to shake the earth with the message of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus returned to heaven after his rescue mission. Aren't you glad he came on a rescue mission? And he rescued people like you and me. He rescued us from our sin. He rescued us from our fallen state. He rescued us from our confusion. And after Jesus returned to heaven, he sent a replacement. Hallelujah. Now, as wonderful as Jesus is and was, when he was on this earth, we have a conundrum, a paradox. And that is that Jesus could only be in one place at one time. Law of physics. But the thing is, he is the creator of the universe. He is God in human skin. How can God be limited? He laid aside his divine prerogatives for you and I. And he came to show us what God would be like if he were a human. And he showed us his grace, his love, his power. When he met disease, disease was gone. When he met death, I always like to say, excuse me for repeating myself, Jesus ruined every funeral he went to. I want you to know that as a pastor, whenever I have been asked to conduct a memorial service or a funeral, I was successful. They didn't get up. But Jesus met death. Even his own in his great rescue mission. But he has sent to us a replacement that has stepped in, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can be everywhere at once. I, I want to let you know today. The Holy Spirit is here in, in this building, present with us and within us. But here's the thing. We may feel like we are his favorites, but he's in other churches. And matter of fact, he's in places where I shouldn't go as a Christian, wooing and drawing and doing the work of Jesus Christ. As a young Christian, I remember them telling me, so now you don't want to go there because the Holy Spirit would not go there. And as I grew in Christ, I understood the Holy Spirit goes to places I have no business being. There is no place I can go. 
where the Holy Spirit isn't dealing with somebody. Someone's prayers are being answered. And the drunk on a bar stool or staggering or laying in the gutter. God's Holy Spirit is not offended so that he cannot love them and deal with them. Holy Spirit can be grieved. And God knows many of us have grieved the Holy Spirit. But grief is a love word. Some of you that have lost loved ones, as I have, know that grief is a love word. If you didn't love them, you would, you, the grief would not be there. <laughs> gone. Like the balloon that popped. Ah, all gone. But that's not it. Love connects. It holds on. It treasures memories. And the Holy Spirit can be grieved. But he doesn't abandon us. He continues to work on us. Let me tell you that the Holy Spirit is not like electricity. It's just some kind of power. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And I don't know what your understanding of that. And I'm sure that in our few minutes together today, I will not turn you into theologians because I don't know that I'm one. But I know that I believe the Bible. And my Bible teaches that God consists of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are not three gods. I know, I was explaining to a Muslim one time, as he asked us about why we believe in three gods. As he was a Muslim banker, and so I was able to tell him, since you understand numbers, let me explain it to you mathematically. You're thinking one plus one plus one equals three. And it does, but that's not what we believe. We believe in one raised to the third power. Yeah. One times one times one. And that's one. Yeah. There is one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, God's work in this world has been divided among the three. And it would be an interesting question when we get to heaven to find out why the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit decided the Son would get, get to be the one who would die on a cross and feel the pain and agony of our sins. But I know this, that what the Son feels, the Father feels. What the Son knows, the Holy Spirit knows. For these three are one. That is the picture. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit and that reference that happened on the day of Pentecost found in Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to be reading that for you. But that's where it is when the Holy Spirit, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, descended upon God's people, that replacement stepped in. It was not a force. It was not an it. Romans 8, 16, in an accurate translation, and some don't get it right, would be the Spirit Himself, not the Spirit itself. The Spirit Himself bears witness that we are the children of God. Jesus explained six weeks before he ascended into the heavens in John 14, 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, he lives with you, and he will be in you. You can't get closer to in. <laughs> it's nice when he's next to you. Wonderful when he descends upon you, but he is in you. Now let me tell you, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, turned from your sins and accepted Him as Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. But there is more. There is that 
filling and overflowing. There is the descent from heaven that happened on the day of Pentecost. And there are many fillings of the Holy Spirit. I've often answered the question of why in the world do we need fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit? And I think many of you already know this, because we leak. There are days that, <clears throat> I won't speak for you, but there are days that I, I'm more spiritual than other days. Matter of fact, I just hate it when I look back and go, you know, that was a pretty carnal day for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Take the reins of my life. Fill me with the very fullness of God. That promise rapidly was fulfilled in a dramatic fashion. The Holy Spirit invaded the hearts and minds of those early Christians. This empowerment is referred to as filled, received, baptized, and Acts 2.4 says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have the description of the descent of the Holy Spirit as well. There were some interesting phenomena that took place in Acts chapter 2. One of those is fire. I'd like to just allude to that for just a moment. Fire in the scripture has several applications. One is it burns up the sin or the dross in our life, leaving that which is most pure. The prophet Elijah called down fire from heaven and it destroyed the false prophets of Baal. And the fire of God has a magnificent way of destroying the false ideas that begin to form in our minds that are not formed by the scriptures and by God himself. The fire of God fell at the dedication of the tabernacle. That was the tent in the wilderness. It was like a pillar of fire over the very presence of God where the Ark of the Covenant was. And when the temple was dedicated in 2 Chronicles 7.1, again, the fire of God came down. So it would not be unusual that on the day of Pentecost, there would be cloven tongues of fire. So what were the indications that the Holy Spirit had come in a fresh and new way for every believer? Well, there was the sound of wind. Now, I think this is interesting. It didn't say there was any wind, just a sound. They heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Now, I've always visualized like everybody's robes were blowing and, you know, you're hanging on to things of that. But it doesn't say there was a wind. So that's just my own little uh, thing I throw in there for the picture of it. You know, beers flopping around. Not on the ladies, of course. <laughs> but on that wonderful day, 120 in the upper room, God sent his Holy Spirit and there was a sound of wind, visual flames descending from heaven. And then there was this unique phenomena that is, I don't think it has caused dissent in the church. It's people's hard hearts and unwillingness to accept what the scripture says that causes dissent. They began to speak in foreign languages that they did not know. Now, in Jesus' day, most people were multilingual. The common Jewish language was Aramaic. Every Jew would learn to speak and read Hebrew. So there was two languages, very similar.
But the world language, like English today, was Greek. And many of them did business with the Romans who spoke Latin. I uh, took Latin in high school. I could not begin to have a conversation in Latin. But it helped me understand English a little bit more. But I didn't really understand English. I spoke it all my life. <clears throat> Confession is good for the soul. When I went into college in preparation for ministry, they gave us a test. You know what the embarrassing thing is? Is because of that test, I was required to take dumbbell English. My wife passed the test. I took the class, I got a decent grade in it, and I don't think I knew any more when I got out of that class than when I went into the class. But in my third year of college, or I think it was the second year, I took Greek. Finally understood parts of speech. Finally understood, and it was all Greek to me. Okay, okay. But what the significant things, they had people from various parts of the world that were bilingual. And on that day, the apostles, the Christians, the 120, Mary, the mother of Jesus, received an endowment of power and began to speak in languages they did not know. It's called speaking in tongues, but it's not just tongues, it's a language. They were known languages, but not known by them. It was miraculous. And when you read through the scripture, you will find that these unknown languages, as the Spirit gave utterance, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And notice, the Spirit gives the utterance, but the Spirit didn't speak. The people spoke. They had to yield to the Holy Spirit. I think this is probably a very poor illustration, but I'll use it anyway. It's sort of like most of us think of cows giving milk. They don't give it, you have to take it. God gives the Holy Spirit, but we don't receive unless we take it. There's an interesting word in the New Testament. The Greek word for receive is a funny little word, luo. L-U-omega. We don't have one of those names, but anyway. And it means I receive. But it also means I take. They have no differentiation in words. So to receive, you've got to take it. If there's a tree filled with fruit, you can say, have whatever you want. Well, thank you. You don't get any benefit unless you go out and pick the fruit. And so God tells us, I have made my power, my presence available to you. But you need to receive. You need to take it. And that's what happened. Timid disciples on that day became bold apostles, according to Acts 1.8. They became bold witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news crossed ethnic lines, gender lines, geographical lines. The good news of the kingdom was no longer just Jewish, but neither would it, did it exclude Israel and the Jews. The good news crossed all those lines. And something marvelous happened. Spiritual gifts blossomed into miraculous demonstrations. 
They were not made to give us goosebumps or feel-good things, though that can happen. They were made not to demonstrate I'm more spiritual than you. No. When you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, does that mean you're a better Christian than others? It does not. It means I'm a better Christian than I was before. And maybe there are those who have not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit that are much better Christians than I am. They just have not accepted or received that particular gift from God. Let us humble ourselves and walk in the grace of God. Because as I look into your faces, I know you look wonderful and spiritual this morning, but I know, like me, you're just something the Holy Spirit drug in off the street. All of our stories are different. But God's grace remains the same. And His gifts are given without repentance. This saturation in the Holy Spirit released kingdom power. It was empowerment to do more, to go higher, and reach further. Let me put it this way. <clears throat> the lady walked into the jeweler's shop. And as she came in, she said, you know, I love this watch, but it stopped. It's broken. I want to know if you can fix it and if it's going to be very expensive. Jeweler said, just a moment, wait, take in the back. Went in the back and she was waiting. A few minutes later, came out there, go, it's working now. So well, you were only back there a few minutes. He said, well, I just had to change the battery. I've been winding it every morning. How many of you have been winding your Christian life up tight? Every morning, I'm going to live for God today. No matter how hard it is, what you need to do is depend upon the Holy Spirit because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It is by His goodness. It is by His grace. Let him empower you. That besetting sin, that habit you cannot break, give up and give over to the Holy Spirit. Find God's power. Get your battery changed. <laughs> this presence of the Holy Spirit is available to all believers but not all believers are receptive. They feel like they may be foolish or they uh, might don't want to do anything on their own and it wouldn't really be God. Oh, folks, trust God to keep you safe from your own foolishness. He loves you. He cares about you. It is available to all. The Apostle Paul wrote to a church more than 600 miles from Jerusalem. And his letter to the church at Ephesus, chapter 5, verse 17. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm not saying this is the only spiritual song, but I tell you there's something about that time when in prayer, even by yourself, that the Holy Spirit rises up within you. And not only do you speak in tongues, but you begin to sing in tongues. Don't anyone misunderstand me. I am not saying if you do not speak in tongues, you do not have the Holy Spirit. Not what I said. When you put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to abide in you. But he can take you to new levels, fresh feeling. And sometimes it is just on the spur of the moment 
I know times when I have been engaged in conversation with some of the cults. And one time in particular, I'm not going to go into detail, but they came with a challenge to me that I didn't have an answer to. Sometimes you don't get all the answers by studying. And as they finish their sentence, I'm thinking, dear Lord, what am I going to say? The Holy Spirit dropped the answer right into my heart. And the home that I was in, they had the two representatives from the cult there. Just a month later, I baptized them both. And they trusted their lives to Jesus Christ until the day they died. You can trust the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you about another time in the Bible. There was a fellow by the name of Cornelius. He was a Roman. And this is before the church was really Gentile. You do understand that racism is nothing new. As long as there's... And America didn't invent it, in spite of what some want to say today. And it's never been approved by God. Well, what about Israel? The Jews, they were God's chosen people. Yeah, such a choice. And that can be taken several different ways because they have been chosen in some ways to show suffering and other ways to bring to us the Word of God. But let me tell you, today, Jew and Gentile alike, there is a sacrifice sufficient for our sins. It is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ, the rabbi, the teacher that I have come to know as a Gentile and been grafted into the family that I am now and you who believe in Jesus are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know the God of creation the great God who has revealed himself powerfully. And the first of that happening to the ends of the earth was Cornelius. And Cornelius loved this God of the Jews, but he didn't. And he wasn't, he already knew that all these gods that Rome believed in and with their different names, same gods that the Greeks believed in, they weren't real. And God's Spirit spoke to him to send for Peter. I like that. Peter, robust, excitable, foot and mouth Peter. Even if, <clears throat> a little time for confession for all of us here. And those online, uh, you can raise your hand, nobody will see you. But how many of you ever said something you wished you'd never said? It was kind of, oh, good, this is my kind of people. Okay. Well, Peter was that kind of guy. I love the Apostle Peter. <laughs> I don't know if anybody that got corrected more times, but you know what? If you have a tendency toward gas, just remember, Jesus loved Peter. And he straightened him out. And so he sends for Peter, who doesn't like Gentiles. So God is about to use a racist. You all remember that little song for children? Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and 
Yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, Jesus loves the little bigots, all the bigots of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Nobody is beyond the grace of God. If you've made mistakes in your past, it's time to repent. Time to change your heart. And though the world in their political correctness may not make room for any of your mistakes in the past, God will. And He's the only one that counts. He loves you. He cares for you. And so, He sends for the Apostle Peter, and Peter's not about to respond, except Peter's having a vision. He was resting, taking the nap. And he has this vision of all these unclean animals being let down out of heaven in a sheet. Now, I need to be careful when I say this. I know that you're going to think some words that you shouldn't be thinking in church. But there was a woman who was preaching at a fellowship meeting who actually was using this illustration. And sometimes you have a slip of tongue and she didn't say sheet. in a room full of preachers. My understanding for those that were present that uh, she tried to correct herself and said it wrong again. And on the second time, people were in the aisle laughing their heads off, and that was the end of the meeting. So I always want to be careful when I come to this passage, because we're all humans and we can make mistakes. And you know what? I'm sure the lady was embarrassed, but God loved her anyhow. So when you make mistakes, do not let it stop you. And so he says, well, I've never eaten anything unclean. There was probably a pig for him to make some bacon out of. I've never had any of these unclean foods that you're telling me to kill and eat. And God's word to him is says, what I call clean, don't you call unclean. Oh, Gentile at the door. I can't let him in. He's a Gentile. He can't be under the same roof as me. We want you to come to Cornelius' house, and he's sent for you to tell us about Jesus. Tell us about God. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit prompt you that you need to do something you didn't want to do? I think one of the hardest things is when the Holy Spirit prompts you to forgive somebody you don't want to forgive. Been there, done that. Still working on some of them. We all are a work in progress. I like to think of that phrase, Jesus loves you, and I'm working on it. How many of you say that could be true in my life, too? Come on, you don't have to put it up high. Just kind of wave at me a little bit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> We don't want to be too transparent, do we? And so he goes to Cornelius' house and preaches to him, and the gifts of the Spirit are poured out. And the Jewish believers are astonished because when all these Gentiles believed, what happened? They began to speak in tongues and prophesy. The Holy Spirit fell on them. And I have a theory. I don't know if this is true. When I get to heaven, I'll find out whether it's accurate or not. The reason, the reason that God poured out his Spirit before Peter was finished preaching is Peter was going to preach, I'm obedient, and I'm out of here. He'd be just as happy if they all went to hell. I don't mean to be so blunt, but I, that's, that's 
how I see Peter in his process of transformation. Okay, I did what you asked me to do. Sometimes we try to get by with a minimum. And while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they believe in Jesus. They get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit at the very same time. And now Peter's got to answer for this to the church at Jerusalem. And they say, you're going to Gentiles. Oh, let me tell you what God did. He did the same thing for them that he did for us. And that was his evidence that these Gentiles could be part of God's kingdom. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit while they believed. They followed by water baptism in obedience. An immersion in water, an immersion in the Holy Spirit. And the good news will now be preached to non-Jews. The good news will go as Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. In Jerusalem, Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. And to the uttermost part of the earth. That would be San Luis Obispo. Acts 11, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. And Peter's defense was our enablement. Today, we can say freely, everything God has for humanity is ours. It doesn't just belong to Israel. It doesn't just belong to the Jews. It doesn't belong to one ethnic group of people. It belongs to all of humanity and all of mankind. And that's why I like to say, I know the world argues with us when they talk about, uh, you know, what race are you? I like to answer human. I don't care what your color is. I don't care what your background is. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm tempted to do something. I can't resist temptation very well. And when it comes to the family lines, okay, a little ethnic humor. I'm Irish. And so many other things I could pick on four other ethnicities. You know, they say that God invented whiskey so the Irish wouldn't conquer the world stereotypes in our minds, right? I'm Irish. But that's not my real background. Go on back and back and back, and every one of us have descended from that weirdest family of all, you know, the Adams family. <laughs> Where it all started. Whether it's short, tall, brown, white, heliotrope, whatever you may be. But I have a new ethnicity. You have a new ethnicity. And it started at the cross of Christ. It was proven by the empty tomb. I have the DNA of God himself deep in my spirit, changing me, maturing me, growing me to every day be a little more like Jesus and like the Apostle Paul said toward the end of his life, have I yet arrived? No. But I'm eight your head of some of you. No, no, no. I have not. But I'm better than I was. And someday, when I see him, 
the Bible says, I shall be like him, for I shall see him as he is. Oh, how great and wonderful this is. God had to convince Peter. That, that I like to, persuasion is an interesting word. It means steering vital truths around other people's mental roadblocks. And he had to steer the vital truth that the gospel is for everyone around Peter's mental roadblocks. God wants to enlarge your vision and overcome mental roadblocks in three levels. Your personal mental roadblocks, your spiritual and physical roadblocks, the corporate community or society in which we're part, all those because the scriptures are clear, Acts 1.8, that you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of Israel. Paul himself, a Jew, certified Jew, trained Jew, tells us in Galatians chapter 3.28 in that book to the church at Galatia, there is neither Jew nor Greek Follow me through on this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Ready for this next one? There is neither male nor female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. Some of my fellow believers will say, women have no business being in the ministry and preaching. I said, what do you do with Galatians? And by the way, if it weren't for women, the apostles wouldn't know Jesus rose from the grave. They were the first ones there and the first ones to preach the resurrection so the apostles could get saved. I'm going to get off my hobby horse here and get on with it. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, overrides all culture. The Roman culture, the Greek culture, the Jews. Now we're one family. That's what it means to move from religion to relationship, capital R. Relationship by the Spirit. I have blood family scattered all over this country. And some of you, I don't even know your name. But you and I are closer connected than me and my blood family because this is family for eternity. I'm hoping my, all my blood family will make the decision be there, but I don't have that assurance. Some of them will walk in in their own way. The Spirit hovers, ready to fill us or baptize us at Jesus' command. And when I say the Spirit hovers, you remember at the very beginning of the Bible, in the beginning was, it, this, the Scripture tells us, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved. And that word moved sometimes is translated hovers. And the picture is a bird brooding over its eggs. And the God, the Spirit, brooded over creation to bring life to the earth and to the planet. That's the picture in Genesis 1. Out of the darkness and out of the water, there will become life. The Holy Spirit now broods over the seeds of life that the new birth has put in us, that we may grow, become more like Him, be close to Him, to bring forth a creation of the new life in Jesus Christ, to give its full empowerment. And Peter's defense 
of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles is our empowerment. The Gentiles were filled with God's Spirit. The Gentiles spoke with tongues like on the day of Pentecost. This message is not about tongues, but you cannot avoid that subject in the midst of any message on the Holy Spirit. And when somebody speaks in tongues, or whether they prophesy in a language that is known, what do they speak? They don't condemn people. You can always tell the false prophets. Thus saith the Lord, you are a bunch of wayward people, and I'm going to beat you down with a stick until you repent. That's not what God says. The Bible says when we speak of the Spirit, that we edify. And when they spoke, the Bible says they spoke of the wonderful works of God. I am looking at some of the wonderful works of God right here today. And I want you to know, I have my flaws, but I'm a wonderful work of God. Don't ask my wife what the flaws are. She might be able to tell you. But I can tell you I'm a wonderful work of God because I know where I started. And I know where I'm at. And I know where I'm going. And because I know where I'm going, I'm going to do better on the way. And if I fall, I'll get up. There are five records in the book of Acts about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.4. There was many manifestations, but there is one manifestation, and I'm just going to point this out because it's biblical. There's one manifestation that persisted in it. Sometimes they didn't prophesy, and sometimes they, there was not tongues, there was fire coming down at them, or a sound of a rushing mighty wind. On the day of Pentecost, there were all those things, but they also spoke in these languages that they had not learned. There was a Samaritan revival in Acts chapter 8 with Philip and the apostles, and we don't know what happened, but we know that something phenomenal took place when a magician said, I'd like to buy the power to lay hands on the people so this happens around me. And he got cursed for that. We don't know what happened in the Samaritan revival. But in Acts 9, 17 and 18 and 1 Corinthians 14, 18, the Apostle Paul said in those outpourings of the Holy Spirit, even him personally, that he spoke in tongues. And then we know about Cornelius' house in Acts 10, 44. And one of the things they prophesied, they spoke in tongues. And then in Acts 19, at Ephesus, when the Holy Spirit fell upon believers who believed they were on the way to heaven, Holy Spirit lived in them. They said, we never heard of the Holy Spirit. He said, the apostle explained to them, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoken of the tongues. And so it's interesting that there are those who say, well, do you always speak in tongues? I'm not going to argue with that today. If any other of the gifts are, the, are utilized, but at least four out of five times it should happen. <laughs> I'm not making a doctrine there. I'm just saying, as we look at the scriptures, there are certain things that are consistent. And let me tell you what this means as we come to the end of this message. There was a ranger in the forest. And his binoculars out, and he's watching a baby bear cub Actually, a, that's redundant, isn't it? A baby bear cub? It comes our way. He's watching it. And he's watching that the cub was being stalked by a mountain lion. He said, I'm too far away to help. He's feeling the anxiety for that, that bear cub. He's watching, watching, watching. And as the 
Mountain lion began to move in. Finally, the bear cub, who'd been playing a little in the, in the river and, and eating some berries, caught out of the corner of his eye a picture of that mountain lion. The baby bear cub, not knowing exactly what to do, did the best he could. He stood up on his hind legs, got as big as he could, which it wasn't near big enough, and he went to roar. And the biggest roar ever heard. And the mountain lion decided he had better things to do. And the bear cub thought, probably thought, wow, am I good? How did I make that noise? What he didn't see is what the ranger saw was Mama Bear was right behind and full defense mode and roaring. Can I tell you, when the enemy comes after you, go ahead, stand up like the bear cub because Mama Bear is behind you. The Holy Spirit. And the enemy is terrified of the Holy Spirit. You have victory. You have help in the Spirit of God. I want to say to you at the end of this message here that this baptism, this filling, call it what you will, is for every believer. And if you have had it in the past, and because you're a leaky Christian, you need a refilling. Why don't you ask God for a fresh anointing? If you've never been filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and an opening for all of his gifts to flow in your life. Will you begin to seek him for that? You see, you need more and more of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Acts 2.39 says, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off. That's us. As many as the Lord our God shall call. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive his presence. And if there's anyone watching or anyone in this building that you haven't made that first step to receive Jesus into your heart and life, now is the time. Now is the time to respond to the love and the grace of God. The scriptures tell us very clearly that whoever believes in me, Jesus said, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. And by this, he met the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. That's from John 7. And when you seek God for his Holy Spirit, be ready to not only receive, but take. Give expression. If he prompts you, he gives you words to speak that you don't know what they are, to speak in the language, praise him with your understanding. Or allow him to fill you with the phenomena of expressing it in another language. God enables us. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The scriptures are clear. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? says, well, I don't know if he'll give that to me. He'll give you everything he's got. I've witnessed to someone who says, well, I, you have no idea the things I've done. No, but God was watching you while you did them.
No one was a more exceptional sinner than Paul, otherwise known as Saul. He murdered Christians because they were Christians. And God forgave him. God made him one with us. I'm sure there were Christian families that said, Paul or Saul is now a believer? Well, that's not fair. I don't want him to go to heaven. God's grace is greater than ours. So I'm just going to encourage you today. We're not going to do anything particularly special in the service, but I'm going to encourage you if you need a fresh infilling, or you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, or if you've never made that first step of inviting Christ to be the Lord of your life, that you do that, you can begin right where you're sitting. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But begin to ask Him to give you all that He has for you. And then find a private place to wait and take time to pursue the presence of God. In Luke 24, Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry, that's wait, in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Sometimes we don't have to wait for God to send the Holy Spirit. We often have to wait for us to be receptive. For the Holy Spirit was poured out 2,000 years ago, plus, and many times since then. 